Brad Klein here for TurfNet Renovation Report. Um, our guest today is Marcy Mills, senior consultant with the uh, firm of Copland, Keebler, and Wallace. I hope I got that right. And I uh, want to thank our sponsors for this conversation, the Andersons, Capillary Bunkers, and Golf Preservations. Marcy, um, we met when uh, two years ago when you were general manager, I believe it was, at Mirabelle in Scottsdale. Was that your title then? Yes, general manager and chief operating officer. And now you have moved up and on. Tell us first about your current position, and then we'll get into the relevance of this for the industry of superintendents and managers. Absolutely, Brad. Well, I transitioned to the executive search and consulting side of the business with Copland, Keebler, and Wallace about a year ago and um, have really loved uh, the position here. We do a lot of executive search for private clubs in particular, for GMs and chief operating officers, for, of course, superintendents and CFOs and assistant GMs, you name it, we, we do it. So, um, and we also work with a lot of boards across the country um, in consulting and, and education on best practices. Um, what um, got me interested in having you on the show is a, an email you sent me, might have been eight months ago or so, and you said, do you know anyone who might be qualified for this position? GM, <laughs> And I think I gave you the name of three superintendents, and uh, I don't did. know what happened to them, and obviously that process is confidential, but I guess um, you've then in, uh, when you're first, let's start with when you're hiring a superintendent, I assume you've been involved in that sort of uh, search or in a position where you're looking at superintendents. What is it you're looking for from the standpoint of a, a senior manager? Absolutely. So no matter what search we are doing, uh, we're in the leadership business, Brad. So when hiring a superintendent, um, whether it be as a general manager or as a search executive, you know, we're looking for strong collaborative leaders someone who's detail oriented, and we really like a guy or girl that can come in under budget. <laughs> um, executive presence is really important. Um, we need exceptional communicators, Brad, and um, in a superintendent, we need individuals that are able to translate complex agronomic principles and applications into layman's terms so that everyone can understand. Uh, boards and committees nowadays are looking for the superintendents to be more engaged um, and to give high level presentations on the golf course financials or any other capital projects they might have going on. Um, and of course it goes without saying, we're looking for someone uh, with passion, you know, for the golf course and for the game of golf. They need to know the game and be able to see it from the lens of the membership. They also need to take extreme pride and care in the grounds and the upkeep. And it, it helps when there's a little competitive spirit as well. You know, to have that aspiration to be the best golf course in the area, the region, the country. Are these skills that you find people come out of school with or are these uh, primarily those either you're born with, so to speak, or you learn on the job? I mean, where do these skills come from? Because I, I don't get the sense right. that they're on the agenda for Turfgrass 101 and 201. Well, I think it's both, Brad, right? When you're studying agronomy, you're studying science and technical skills. You're not studying so much leadership. Um, when, you, when you get into a, a club operation and you work for dynamic leaders, you know, it is up to those superintendents to really develop and cultivate those assistants underneath them. 
and to give them that practical training, to teach them how to lead teams, to teach them how to develop their team and to inspire and motivate them. So I think there's a good mix of technical skills, um, you know, and also learned abilities on the job. Uh, how different are those skill sets that you enumerated uh, when you're looking for a, um, a good general manager or a club manager? Well, they're, they're pretty, you know, um, consistent. Uh, again, strong leadership skills are a must for, for club general managers. Again, going to that team development, the ability to lead, build, and, and develop teams is critically important. Also to, you know, attract, retain, recruit talent, and mentoring, um, you know, is more important than ever in today's employment landscape. Um, you know, it, it seems when we go to visit clubs, they're all looking for the same key characteristics in their next general manager. They're looking for someone who will be visible and have an engaged leadership, leadership style and presence. They want someone with strong financial acuity, team development, executive presence, of course, knowledge of club governance, how it should work, and the ability to embrace best practices so they can be thought partners for the board. Um, and also strategic planning skills and knowledge of food and beverage. There's not a club that we don't go into and visit where there's not some sort of challenge with the food and beverage operation as that is such a subjective experience for the members. Yeah, um, and I, I suppose one of them is that there are very few, if any, uh, F&B operations that actually make money. Don't uh, most clubs lose money on every plate they serve? Correct. We, we subsidize our food and op beverage operations in our clubs. It is an amenity. Uh, a lot of those skills that you uh, listed there for GM actually sound like they overlap with those of a superintendent, particularly budget skills, management, personnel, training, mentoring, leadership, uh, communication. Um, do you find that superintendents, I mean, I can think of a few um, who come to mind, Carlos Araya at Bell Reeve, who moved up, John Cunningham, his predecessor, who's now a grandfather, Tom Feller at Cedar Rapids. They're all, they were fine, I believe certified CGCS superintendents who moved on to GMs. Um, yes. is, there, is there something particular about the, the job of a superintendent that would in effect pre-qualify them or lend them more toward uh, moving into the GM position? Absolutely. I was just at Bell Reeve this week and, and <laughs> I'm always very impressed by Carlos and John and what they do. And I just placed Matthew Gaudet. Uh, Tom and I did at um, Pelican Marsh, and he came up from that side of the business as well. Um, mm -hmm. Adam Zubek at La Cumbre, and, and there's just a couple more, Nick Van Hoffen at Island Country Club. So those are a few more individuals that have transitioned up. There's so many attractive qualities in a superintendent um, in their job profiles that make them exceptional general managers. I worked with three in the industry that I, if I knew I something happened would something would have happened to me the next day. You know, any one of these gentlemen, Jeff Gorin at Mirabelle, Rob Collins at Paradise Valley, Alan Fitzgerald at Ledrock, they could run that operation seamlessly. Um, they might not want to do it, but they are are capable of it. They run the largest budget piece of the club, right? They usually have the largest budget, the largest scope of responsibility with the grounds upkeep the largest teams. Uh, the only you know, disconnect is, again, they might not have that food and beverage training, but we all grow up, so to speak, in the industry in different sides of the business, right? So there are some CFOs that transition to general managers quite seamlessly. 
as well as superintendents, as well as golf professionals and food and beverage professionals. It's all about finding that right fit of club. Um, you know, when, when we do any extensive renovation projects, even if it's not involving the golf course, the superintendent is the best person to go to, you know, to manage that budget and to help with the detail, attention to detail. So I think there's a lot of similarities. There's so many attractive qualities that they have that they could do the job tomorrow. I think some of them, you know, one piece is they would have to be more engaged on the forward-facing membership side of the business. And a lot of times, you know, we, we interface with our greens committees and we interface with our boards, but we don't have to do as much networking or, or FaceTime with the members, even though the members do like to know their superintendent. Um, so I think it, it's our job as general managers um, and leaders to really encourage our superintendents to, you know, um, lead from the front and, and do more presentations and become more engaged from that membership standpoint. Yeah, could you talk a little bit more? I mean, by nature or whatever, nature or culture, uh, superintendents tend to be a little bit loners. They're, they're off, you know, they show up at their desk at five in the morning. Uh, they don't right. have to answer to anybody till nine. It used to be the case till email. But, uh, and you know, when, when things get stressful, they'll often disappear to a corner of the golf course. I always have this theory, Every golf course has a go-to place where the superintendent goes to hide for a half hour, uh, whether it's to check email, smoke a cigarette, or just, you know, wish the day would go away. So <laughs> there's a, you know, there's a bit of a character difference maybe uh, that some superintendents have to overcome. To uh, what sort of practices can clubs undertake to help integrate the superintendent into the structure of the flow decision making and the and the and the sociable nature of, of the community well absolutely i think uh, jeff and i were good partners in this experiment because you know jeff um goren at mirabel um i would have him in the boardroom as much as i could and i think as general managers getting them engaged at the board level not just the greens committee um, and also as general managers, we need to drive down great governance practices to our committee level as well. It should mirror our board best practices. So we need to help support them in that capacity. Um, you know, there are, you know, Club Management Association of America. If a, if a superintendent wants to pursue GM as his next step or her next step in their careers, you know, we offer a certification program where it exposes people, you know, we learn all about food and beverage, governance, HR practices, and it would help round out their experience um, and they could become certified. Um, we used to do some town hall presentations just to educate the members. And that was a good opportunity for the superintendent to get out there. And Brad, you know, in the desert, we have this funny process called transition. And every year, no matter what, we always would have the most complaints because people didn't know what was going on. So mm -hmm. um, Jeff, to his credit, did an amazing presentation and uh, helped educate the members. But again, that's more FaceTime, you know, eating in the men's grill once in a while with the director of golf. That's a good practice. Playing nine holes every once in a while on the golf course with a few members, you know, great practice. So just being highly visible um, when they can and encourage that visibility without overdoing it because they do need that self-time. They do, you know, they are scientists. So, um, you know, but some of them do tend to be more introverted in nature, but they do have the skills. And I think as general managers, we can certainly encourage their development and support them along the way and create opportunities for engagement. 
one of the things I've noticed over the years, and the same thing is true with the PGA professionals, is that there's more of an interaction so that, for example, the club managers are learning more, not to be agronomists, but to understand what goes into, like you said, the overseed, the ryegrass transition, uh, so that they can communicate. And, you know, clubs that I've seen are successful. Um, the GM, the pro, and the super are all on the same page. There's no backstabbing, infighting, whatever. They understand, they meet regularly. And I assume that uh, th there's an effort among the, C uh, the club managers to, to promote more of that, um, what's the word, uh, cooperativeness, if you will, up and down the line. Um, yes, that, absolutely. And um, I used to ride the golf course with Jeff Gorin every Thursday at 10 o'clock. You know, that was our meeting time. And he would educate me. Here's what's going on. You know, here's some trouble areas or here, you know, gosh, look, there's no POA. You know, I mean, we would spend that time together and it was intentional time because I want to support him in the best manner possible. And our golf pro director of golf at the time was David Ingram. And the three of us would have lunch every once in a while. We would meet regularly. And there was, you know, a collaboration between golf and grounds committees. They both sat on each other's committee so that there was, you know, cross communication so that there was no stones left unturned or no confusion. Yeah. And again, uh, you mentioned it in passing, but it's worth reiterating, encouraging uh, or making it part of the deliberation that the superintendent is, is attending not just green committees, but board meetings as well. And that means attending as an equal, um, putting on a jack and tie if necessary, or what at least, you know, becoming familiar and conversant and, and comfortable. And uh, I think that's a process that um, I, I suppose the more of that that goes on uh, makes everybody a little more efficient and a little more um, better at their job. Yeah. Absolutely. The, uh, um, if you were to uh, advise, that's why we're talking, if you were to advise a superintendent um, to... Um, to want to make the leap or to consider moving up, um, you know, uh, I guess after the age of 45, you sort of get tired of getting up at four in the morning on weekends. And so, uh, although of course, as a general manager, you probably have to stay till 11 at night. So what do I know? <laughs> you just, There's give and take, Brad. <laughs> that's right. Do you have the equivalent of a hundred days of hell? You know, we, we call it. <laughs> yeah, it's probably 365. No, I'm just kidding. Okay. Well, but uh, what 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 uh, professional or skill set traits uh, training would you suggest? You, you mentioned, for example, the CMA uh, CMAA conference. Mm -hmm. um, what particular skills do you think uh, would really best be honed for making that transition? Well, I think you know by nature superintendents are great leaders because they you know are leading the largest teams or they you know have leadership qualities and characteristics that can be developed. Um, it's also on the superintendent to make it transparent that that's his or her goal to make that move, mm. to level up. Because if you're not telling me and I'm your GM, how am I going to know how much emphasis to put on your specific development? Um, you know, and, and I can create more and more opportunities and create a career path for you to achieve that next level up of leadership and make that recommendation. But, you know, the superintendent should be very transparent and not to, 
you know, even with the board president or the executive committee or the board, however comfortable they are with that relationship, it's making that known, this is my goal, not that I wanna leave you. I will have the best succession plan for you as a superintendent, but I really desire to take that next level up because if they don't make it known, then maybe the GM leaves and they're looking at the superintendent going, is this your opportunity? Do you wanna step up and take it? And um, that's happened in, in quite a few cases across the country hmm. where, you know, GM leaves and then the superintendent has made it known and they go to him or maybe they weren't sure if that's where they wanted to go. But then they think about it and then they take that next level up and they and they thrive and excel. So I think, again, it's it's developing your leadership skills, um, you know, creating those opportunities and making an effort to engage and not only engage with your team. But get out of the silo of the turf center, get out of the silo of the golf course and make some rounds in the clubhouse, you know, and, and get to know the other teammates in other departments and, you know, be a part, uh, an engaged part of the leadership team. Our superintendents were always engaged at the, the leadership level, but also just, just making your presence known and, and having those lunches in the men's grill. I think a lot can come of that. And the GM can also work with the superintendent. We did um, admired leadership training and coaching, um, which is a specific online virtual program with all of our department heads. That helps. Um, the CMAA has these specific, you know, education called BMI programs, where one is leadership principles, one is strategic, one is food and beverage, golf. You know, there's all these components where it addresses the 11 competencies that, that you need as a, as a chief executive officer, as chief operating officer of a club. So it's really just rounding out those skill sets and creating opportunities. Um, I wonder if some superintendents are worried that by expressing that interest for a career development, they'll be seen as somehow disloyal or uh, bored or not really into their job. I mean, there's always... I don't know how best to express that, but I, uh, is there a, a risk there, or is there a way to do it that's that's uh, professionally respected that can that will enhance? There, there's always, yeah. I think the best clubs get it and understand, right? We don't hold back our leaders. Like for example, if if we have good AGMs, great AGMs that want to take that next level up, we're clear, and we want to push them out the door to spread their wings so that they can take on their next opportunity. So we don't hold that against them. Anyone mm -hmm. who wants to do best for their families and for themselves, you you know, I think the smart boards get it and and the the best clubs get it. So is there a risk there could be in the wrong environment? So in that case, that superintendent will know that and he or she should just work on an engagement plan and a career path plan where he or she can gain that training regardless of whether he or she makes it known. Just say, yeah. hey, I'd like to attend that CMAA meeting. I'd like to learn more about the club industry. And you can do it from just an education standpoint. I wanna be add more value to my role as superintendent. Can I come with you one day to these events? So I think there's a way to do it where it doesn't create a, a fire, so to speak. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's interesting. The best superintendents I've noticed all nurture their assistants and their techs and their everybody to move on, to move on and eventually to move out. So I guess the, the parallel is at the club level. And I suppose if you're at a place where your thought, where that thinking goes on that, that you know, um, 
you know, you're suspicious of other people. That's not a healthy club culture. That that's the real problem, not with the superintendent, the, the club culture. Right. Yes, absolutely. Uh, we're going to take a break. And um, our guest today, Marcy Mills, is a senior consultant or um, not a consultant. You're a, a member of the uh, the team at, uh, at the distinguished search firm of, and consulting firm of Copland, Keebler and Wallace. This is the Renovation Report. My uh, Your host is Brad Klein here. And we want to thank our guest, uh, sponsors, the Andersons, Capillary Bunkers, and Golf Preservations. From fairway and greens drainage to full-scale renovation work, Golf Preservations can handle your project with ease and give you the peace of mind of knowing the professionals are caring for your valuable golf course assets. Since 2005, Golf Preservations has meticulously installed over 500 miles of drainage pipe on more than 300 golf courses nationwide, always keeping disruption of play to a minimum. Visit golfpreservations.com or call 606-499-2732 to speak with us about your next drainage or renovation project. Introducing Genesis RX, a line of comprehensive fertility and soil amendment solutions specifically designed for airification, construction, renovation, sodding, sprigging, and seeding. These blends represent the most comprehensive fertilizers the Andersons have ever produced, offering single product solutions designed to simplify fertility and save time in application. To learn more, visit andersonsplantnutrient.com slash turf. The capillary bunker system keeps bunker moisture at optimal levels uh, to eliminate washouts, soil Marcy contamination, plugged ball lies, and other bunker maintenance and playability problems. And the patented capillary bunker system you know, not only rapidly drains rain from storms, culture, but also moves moisture most, back up to the bunker uh, sand through capillary action as needed during drier weather. Capillary bunkers last longer, average a three-year payback, and provide better, more consistent player experiences, all with a 10-year performance guarantee. For more information, Weightless visit capillarybunkers.com. Uh, the struggling daily fees and mom and pops and municipals as well. So uh, club culture is a, is a very important thing. How is a general manager, when you assess a facility, what do you look for? Uh, what are the signs of a healthy club culture? I guess I'd start with that. Absolutely. Well, Brad, you know, funny you mentioned this because I just experienced this at Bell Reeve this week. And when I walk into a club and, you know, you can feel the culture. Yeah. And it's this great sense of pride in everything that the team does and how they execute, how they interact with each other. Um, the club is, is really staying on course with its values, core values and um, mission and vision. And the team buys into that mission and vision and executes it. Um, you know, Bell Reeve blew me away because Carlos has created this special culture. And I felt it at all levels of employee and, and with the membership as well. So, um, you know, culture is, is obviously the most important aspect of a general manager's job is to protect and drive that culture in collaboration with the board of directors. Yeah. Um, can I ask you the other side of this? When you walk into a place and 
you know, there are signs everywhere telling you what you can't do. And uh, you're waiting 20 minutes to get served. And um, I don't know. Uh, what are the signs of a club culture gone awry or not fully articulated the way it should be? Well, I think there's always opportunity, Brad, in those operations, right? And that's our search firm. You know, we're <laughs> you call us, we'll get you, <laughs> we'll get you straight. But when you when you walk into a culture that's awry, um, you know, there's a big disconnect, obviously, between leadership. You know, there's a disconnect between the board amongst the board. There could be some discord amongst the board. There could be a disconnect between the GM and the board. There could yeah. be a disconnect between the committees and the team. There's a disconnect between leadership and and the team. So. You know, there's all sorts of things. There's no processes in place. Um, there's not that high level of care, pride, and passion for the grounds. Um, you know, there's there's little things that you notice that are, are awry as well. So I think that um, you can sense it. You see it in the physical plant. You see it in the employee's eyes. You know, you see it in how they react and respond to the membership. You see it in the membership and you feel it. So it's, mm -hmm. a, it's the same thing, you know, and, and it's a you know, um, you have to be intentional about culture. So it's finding, you know, that leadership that can drive it and enhance it. I think a lot of these issues were uh, enhanced in terms of their significance during the, the, the heights of the pandemic. Not that we're out of it completely, but with COVID, uh, the successful clubs were a place where staff was valued where service and longevity were valued, where safety was valued, where families could go. And instead of having to pay for a gym and summer camp and um, and dining out, they knew that that was a safe haven for them and, and that everybody was looking out for everybody else. And so I think uh, certain clubs really thrived. I mean, everybody did well in terms of golf rounds, but the clubs that really benefited had a place where particularly... Uh, women decision makers in many families realize this is a safe haven and we can consolidate our our spending and the clubs really uh, uh shined as a result or the, the ones that had that kind of internal commitment so um covid really uh drove home that point i think for for the for the industry uh to probably to the surprise of many people actually i don't think uh i'm sure you've seen it across the board as well um Yes, we have seen surprised us, you know, as you were saying, you know, some clubs just, they just got it and they created that sense of family. They went above and beyond to stay connected, even when they were closed. And, you know, it, it you know, there were clubs doing amazing things during that time and the successful, most successful GMs and clubs are thriving and, and the others, you know, that you saw the disconnect um, during that time. And, and uh, there's a lot of clubs now with a lot of waiting lists across the country. Yeah, I've been uh, I've been writing about uh, how that manifests itself in terms of renovation spending and willingness to invest and engage in the future. And so uh, I, for now, at least, since this is yeah. an economy and economy has cycles, uh, it's a very uh, exciting and healthy environment. But you sort of uh, wonder, you know, just make sure you, you keep a little bit in in reserve just in case uh, when things turn down a little bit or interest rates go too high and you find yourself over borrowing. I mean, that's a, that's an issue for not just managers, but for everybody in the industry. One of the other changes that's that, that's occurred, and 
I think it became uh, more significant during COVID was a labor shortage and the need to, to bring in different people uh, because of uh, restrictions on immigration, uh, the traditional source of labor for golf course superintendents essentially got more difficult and more expensive. Uh, any skilled labor now is uh, the, the prices, the wage rates have gone way up. And this has actually uh, opened up an opportunity for women in the industry in an interesting way. And I was wondering if you could talk a little bit about to the extent to which uh, the golf industry has brought women in at every level and how that uh, changes uh, your perception of the, of, the, of the labor market. Well, um, I think part of me thinks it's two separate things, right? The labor labor shortage um, was tough on all of us, I think. And, and some clubs are still experiencing it. And we had to make significant operating dues increases across the board in all clubs to support the new labor rates. And that's hard, right? That was hard on everybody and it's still spiking. So, you know, we might've hired a groundskeeper for $12 four years ago and now they're at 20, right? So, you know, there's a significant um, increase and um, people left the hospitality industry because it wasn't an attractive place to work. Right. You know, because of the short staff, the long hours, people were getting burnout, people were tired. Um, so now we're seeing the industry come together and make a shift. And I think as far as bringing women into the industry, I was very excited today to learn. I, I called my friend Kim Pasquale at Club Management Association of America. I wanted to just do a check-in on how many women, female members we have in our association presently today. And we still have work to do, but we've made progress. So 30% of all members in our association are now women. Oh, 39%. Yeah, that's fantastic, right? It's a, it's a shift. And 39% of new professional members since 2021 are females. And 60% of the student population are females. And that's stayed pretty consistent. Um, you know, with our firm, we're seeing more women achieve that highest level of leadership now more than ever, as clubs are beginning to get it. They're beginning to understand that we need to drive some sort of work-life balance and that people need to have time for their families and for their personal lives, that it's not just all about club. How are you going to give 150% of the club and, and give nothing to your families? And so I think what we're seeing in hotels and resorts sort of got on this train a bit early when they started hiring multiple positions um, so they could divide the hours. So, you know, instead of hiring one sous chef, they're hiring three and to really, you know, share that responsibility of hours. And I think clubs, clubs have reduced operating hours, you know, to handle the staffing shortage, but they've really made an investment and said, I value you as our leadership team. I value you as our general manager. We understand and so now let's drive this home, but the GM has to drive it and the GM has to set the example. I think, you know, I in particular probably didn't do a great job of this, Brad, whereas, you know, there are times when you don't need to be at the club and all of your leaders are looking to you to set the tone. So if we want to create this culture of work-life balance and that everyone's valued and that their personal time is valued, that we value you as a whole individual, the GM needs to value themselves as well and, and, and take some time away from the club and let people step up and let others have their time also. Mm -hmm. So I think as we continue to educate our industry, we are going to see more and more women that understand that, yes, I can run a club and I can have my family and I can do it all um, because my club 
is going to support that. So I think it's an education process. Club Management Association's done a great job. I know the PGA has, has been on top of this as well. Um, golf course superintendent, we're all pushing the same message. And um, I think we'll begin to see more and more women in the well, industry and stay in the industry. Yeah, there, there are a couple of different aspects of that. All superintendents now have to be adept at um, essentially complex scheduling so that People have every other weekend off. They're only working 40 right. hours. Uh, you know, the idea of, uh, well, your loyalty is here. We're going to, you know, the old uh, <clears throat> drive them for 65 hours a week. That's not going to work. So uh, no. they've all become more flexible. I was also thinking that uh, if you start trying to recruit women, you've dramatically increased your potential labor pool in terms of uh, industry. And so uh, superintendents have had to become more flexible with the work culture in the maintenance yard, which is a particularly a, a kind of a construction industry attitude. So they've also had to be more amenable to uh, cultural differences uh, that go along with a, a wider labor pool. Uh, and I, I gather the same thing goes on at the management level of a club in terms of flexibility, hours, uh, rotations, giving people time off holidays, personal days, and so on. Um, yes, and we still have work to do, but but it, it's we're making progress, and uh, we are recruiting women and and um, heavily and for executive leadership roles, and um, you know we're looking for the best person in the job, and um, you know I think as clubs again and as the culture continues to change and as our industry shifts, it will allow for more individuals to enter the labor pool, whether they're female or male, right. and have that life. Yeah, I assume also all those statistics, which are very impressive, 30%, um, I dare say the membership level of the uh, superintendents, the GCSAA is uh, on the female side is is probably still single digits. Uh, I'm, I'm, sh I'm sure of that, actually. Um, so it's, but it's changing. Um, and I, I gather that those numbers are reflected as well at the, at the elite levels in terms of status of GMs. Yes. Now, the last time I checked that level, it was about 20% uh, of, wow. of, uh, of club general managers are female, which came up from 12%. Now, that might be, you know, don't quote me officially on that, but that was the last time I heard um, that statistic. So again, more and more women are achieving that highest level of leadership at club. And what, does and that being... do, what, what effect does that have on the club culture itself? Is it possible to sort of? Well, I, I guess it, it could, it does have an effect on the club culture, but it also, you know, sets a tone and example industry wide. You know, we used to look at our, our national boards for associations and it used to be all men, right? Yeah. And now sitting as a young manager in the, in the association world, I can see myself on that stage. I can see myself as a board member. And I think what that does for, for clubs as well is when you have a female general manager, chief operating officer is, you know, it sends a message to the membership as well, because club boards are continuing to evolve and focus on diversity and inclusion, right? So we, we want more females to be on our boards and it sends a strong message that, that this is an inclusive culture. Yeah. And that, that requires still some changes in attitude, club culture, um, 
you know, the uh, sort of old boy network, all of those things have to give way to some extent, which I gather yes. is partly partly how your company makes a, makes a living by uh, <laughs> by educating. We educate, and you know, clubs have come a long way. Like the good old boys days, you know, I know they still exist and, and, you know, there's still some clubs that'll always be what they are, but we have made progress and we have evolved. And so, you know, I think all of us can be proud of that. Yeah, that's very impressive. Um, in your role as a, um, with uh, KKNW, it's easier to say it that way. Um, <laughs> Are you primarily involved in recruitment or do you also get into the nuts and bolts of golf course and club operations? Um, I am heavily involved in recruitment. So that's my primary focus. And I also, uh, Brad, have been doing some board retreats or some strategy sessions with club boards. Um, I did a staff presentation the other day. So I do get involved, um, but in a different way. Mm-hmm. So we're entering uh, the golf market right now is fairly healthy. There's a lot of enthusiasm. Attendance is going to be way up at these national conventions that we go that were and they're going to be held in person, uh, which was not the case a few years back. Um, what are the the really uh, good signs that you see with clubs in terms of where they're building their future and what are some of the uh, what's the word uh, the clouds or the potential issues that uh, clubs still have to be wary of as we move forward? I mean, that's a, that's a big question. And I didn't put that <laughs> that's on a the big question, Brad. Um, I think there's a couple of things. One, I'm going to go back to human resources. You know, the employee experience needs to be just as great as the member experience. We need to be able to recruit, attract and retain and develop our teams. Um, so that we can establish that member experience that our members expect and deserve, right? So it all starts with the employees. And we're seeing clubs across the country make significant investments in time where they're creating employer of choice committees to really focus on how can we make, you know, I know Joel Living Good at Interlock and has done a lot of work on this. How can we make Interlochen the best place to work in our community and in the state mm. and, you know, at the top clubs? And so you create these employer of choice committees that are HR executives, successful members that have had these careers and help develop this strategy and plan to really hone in on that employee experience. Clubs are making significant investments in their employee areas. Gone are the dingy, you know, backyard break rooms or you know, the people are making investments in, in development and education. Mediterra, Karma Masseri just built a room where he called, you know, Mediterra University, where they teach and develop their team on mm. a regular basis. He has test kitchens downstairs. I mean, people are doing dynamic things. And if you don't have the resources to do all that, you can still engage with top level HR people and create an employee experience that you can be proud of. Um, so I think that that is key importance, and that's what we're seeing a lot of, of emphasis on. Uh, mm. There's a, been a lot of change in the membership demographics during COVID, right? Yeah. So we had a lot of transition. We had club memberships evolve. You have newer, younger members coming in. You have older members aging out and everyone in between. And there's this disconnect of expectations, of needs, of wants and programming. 
So which is placing more and more demand on club executives and the teammates, and they have to come up with something for everyone, right? So you're trying to you know, engage all levels of that membership. So that is a challenge I think that we'll continue to see. Um, also clubs need to continue to invest in their physical plants and, and to create the club of the future. Because as you said, Brad, you know, we don't know when this bubble is gonna burst or when, when, the, when it, the economy will turn because as everything does, it will. So we need to be able to position ourselves as clubs to really attract that member of the future. So what does that look like, right? Is it investing in your fitness and wellness programs? Is it investing, you know, Desert Mountain just partnered with Honored Health and they have a healthcare clinic on site within the community gates mm. that employees have free access to healthcare in their families and the members don't have to go anywhere. Mediterra, concierge healthcare has been adopted. So all these clubs are doing innovative things from a programming standpoint, from a member amenity standpoint, they're putting in technology. You've seen all the golf technology enhancements, the simulators, the, you know, par threes, the, you know, clubs are just making significant investments for the members of the future. And they need to continue to do that because one day there will be a big challenge. So that's where I see the main where your former golf director, Dave Ingram, went, Ford Field and the Stream Club, during yeah. COVID, they were shopping, they became a pharmacy, they were doing uh, arrangements with professionals outside for home services, they became essentially a, a, a club-wide concierge for everything. So uh, what's interesting is there are two aspects. One is a more comprehensive approach than member experience, but I'm really intrigued by the notion that it's the quality of the work life that is also crucial. So that the shift apparently is instead of um, an employee being there to serve the member, the employee is also there to enhance their own experience and their own well-being. I, I see, for example, more and more clubs make their employees eligible for college scholarships, for example, yes. whether through the Evans program or through the, the Caddy Scholarship idea has been extended to the kitchen, for example, or to the house staff. Mm -hmm which is a good example of the kind of uh, enhancement of life opportunities that you're talking about. We established that at Mirabelle, this employee scholarship fund, and a lot of clubs are doing it. And it is a great way um, for employees to participate and for their family members. You know, a lot of times the daughter of the, the person in the kitchen would get the scholarship or, or someone right. on the grounds. It's an incredible moment where the club members can be so proud to give and to retain that talented staff because they're giving them a bigger reason to work at the club. Yeah. Well, I guess it's the old adage that uh, it's much more efficient to retain a client than to recruit a new client. So it's the same thing with employees uh, and, yes. and with members as well. So very interesting. Uh, our guest today, uh, Marcy Mills is a, a senior advisor with uh, Copland Keebler and Wallace. And uh, for the renovation report, I want to thank uh, our sponsors, uh, the Andersons, Capillary Bunkers, and Golf Preservations. Marcy, always a pleasure talking with you. Thank you for your time, and thank you for uh, your uh, contributions to the golf industry. It's been a pleasure, and uh, I'm, gl I'm, I'm glad we're continuing this conversation that we started two years ago. Me too, Brad. It's been a pleasure and an honor to be here with you today. Thank you.